Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night cheer, as it always. Lil Nishmas Eliza Shalamis. Should be a good better for all our children, for our husband. I call you throw. The Shabbos is a Pasha Vayetze. A very, very full Pasha. But more than being just a full Pasha, as we all know, as we go through the week of Chitas, oh, we started a minute early, eh? As we go through the week of Chitas, We know this is the week of the birth of Klal Yisrael. And he's on a mission. Okay. Yaakov goes out of Bereshava, goes to Kharana on a mission. We'll discuss soon the actual mission itself. Alpiruchnius, but Alpigashmius, his father, his mother recommended because of the events with his brother Esav, because of the brachas that he rightfully deserved as a becher, since Esav sold him the becher on a physical basis, or rather because. Yaakov was, in essence, the Becher. Asa fought his way out of his mother's womb before Yaakov. According to some opinions, Yaakov was created first. And only because he was created first, therefore he was still... Asa was able to get on top of him to go out first. Whatever the reason may be, Yaakov, deserving the Becher, deserving the Brachis, and so as his mother saw, for, saw fit, so as his father ultimately knew, as we spoke last week, that the, he was deserving of the brachas, but rather his father was trying to conform, to convert, to conform Esau, to give him another chance, and to elevate whatever Esau was lacking. Yaakov now therefore embarks on a mission. And the message tells us that as this mission begins, he runs into a little bit of a problem. And that problem, and ultimately, actually Rashi tells us about this problem later, when he gets and he arrives to the destination that he's looking to get, He has an unfortunate rude awakening, and he's very upset, of course, and very downtrodden, in that he doesn't have what Eliezer had when Eliezer came to court. Rivka, Yitzchak's wife. And Rashi tells us the reason being because... Eliphaz, Esau's son, was sent on a mission. Eliphaz was sent on a mission by his father Esau to go kill Yaakov. Esau knew that he himself would not be able to pursue Yaakov for whatever the given reason might have been. But Esau did choose to have Yaakov assassinated. And the way that he would get Yaakov assassinated, would, he sent out his son Eliphaz. Eliphaz meets Uncle Yaakov. Bottom line, it's his uncle. 
And yeah, I know that sometimes we have an uncle that's not your favorite uncle. You might have an uncle that you don't necessarily take well to. But he's your uncle. For gosh sake, he was your uncle. You gotta give some covet. You gotta give some respect. You gotta show him some love. And so Lifaz meets up with Yaakov to with intent to kill him. Yaakov is a shrewd man. Yaakov is a smart man. Yaakov tells Eliphaz, Herr zu mein Kind, it's not nice to kill your uncle. Let's get, you know, be realistic. Kill your uncle. But yes, I know you're sent on a mission. And I know you're going to come back and your, mother, your father's first question is going to be, New, what did you do? So you need to come back and report to your father that I'm dead. Because if you don't have that report, then obviously your father is going to be disappointed. And who knows what he could do. So let me tell you a halacha, says Yaakov to Elifaz. The halacha is Ani Choshev Kimes. A poor person is as good as dead. A person has no money has no valuables the person, the poor person has nothing Taylor tells us he's chash of kemesis as if he's dead take everything take whatever I have and then you can go back to your father and tell your father yeah, Uncle Yaakov is dead If he asks you, how did he die? What did he say before he died? You don't have to make that one up. That You'll have to improvise. But fact, Yaakov is dead and you won't be a liar. And you'll satisfy your father. And you'll satisfy me too, because I don't want to be dead. And Elifaz accepted the idea he took well to the idea and Alifaz takes everything that Yaakov has leaving Yaakov penniless leaving Yaakov totally impoverished so hence Yaakov when he arrives to Lavan's household to much of the dismay and shock of, ya- of Lavan he had nothing, he possessed nothing. Nebuch. And he tells this as much to Lovin. Because Lovin comes to greet him. And as Lovin comes to greet him, Lovin tries to see where all the money really is. He doesn't see any bracelets, doesn't see any jewelry. He kisses him to see if it's in his cheeks. And obviously, to his disappointment, there was nothing to talk about. We'd also like to discuss this Shabbos. Habalina Leteva, besides being Pasha Vayetze, is Tess Kislev. And Sunday is Yud Kislev. Tess and Yud Kislev are very relevant dates in Chabad. Yud Kislev, the tenth day of Kislev, is the day that the Mittler Rebbe, which is the son of the Alter Rebbe, or the second Chabad Rebbe, was freed from prison. <coughs> this liberation was similar to that of his father's, which took place on Yud Tess Kislev, which we will discuss. And since Yud Kislev and Yud Tes Kislev were days of liberation, therefore the month is referred to as a month of liberation.
The Hashem teaches us, of course, that everything we hear or see is a lesson how we serve Hashem. And the Zayar tells us each day, each day performs a service. Meaning that we have an obligation each day to develop other concepts in Torah study. Even though sometimes Torah repeats itself with different things, we need to sometimes re- relearn and redo things. But there is a reason for it, and therefore it is important that we do so. Yud Kislev, therefore, is very important to all of us. The Mitla Rebbe was a Tzaddik and a Nasi. And Rashi in Bamidbar, chapter 21, verse 21, Peri Chafalif, Pasi Chafalif, teaches that a Nasi Hu Akel, a Nasi Hu Adair, everything in the generation is the Nasi. So therefore, the day of liberation affects them, the entire generation, and is a redemption for the entire generation. A person leaves his previous position to the point that he feels he's leaving Egypt. Egypt refers to Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim are boundaries, limitations. But he rises above all that. Tes Kislev is the birthday of the Mitzrayim Rebbe. It's also the yard site of the Mitle Rebbe. The Mitle Rebbe, second Chabad Rebbe, was so entrenched in his Torah studies that they used to say that if you cut his veins, Chassidus would come out. And so his liberation. And his yard site and birthday coming out the same day is all a lesson to us. But most importantly, it's Shabbos this year, the Teskia slave. Pashat Vayetze. And what does Vayetze tell us, as we said before? Vayetze Yaakim Be'eshava Vayelech Chorono. Yaakim left Be'eshava and he went down to Chorono. This verse describes a process that every Jewish soul undergoes. Be'er Shava represents the heart of Eretz Yisrael. Charona, Charon is the instigator, the wrath of the world. The Jewish soul descends from God's throne into the physical world. However, that descent is charged with a mission and a purpose to make the world a dwelling place for God in the lower worlds. And through this service, each Jew achieves success. The Torah declares that Yaakov was a person that he expanded himself. Similarly, every Jew will find success in the study of Torah and his service of Tefillah fulfillment of mitzvahs, involvement in worldly, thing, worldly, worldly things, which will ultimately lead, lead to the blessing of the coming of Mashiach. The Mitle Rebbe's day of redemption, always, as we said before, comes right after <coughs> his birthday in Yadzeit of Tes Kislev. So therefore there's a connection between his birthday in Yerzeit and his redemption. On Mincha, by Mincha, on Tes Kislev, we don't say Takhtun. Because Yud Kislev is a very special day to us. The redemption of the Mitla Rebbe. And since we don't say on Yud, from Mincha already on Tes we don't say Hence, we see a direct connection between the two days 
in our actual actions. So the truth is, on a, what's a birthday? The spiritual source of a soul shines powerfully on his, on his birthday. Similarly, when a person is redeemed, that time also, the person shines as he leaves his previous position of an exile, of pri- imprisonment, and experiences redemption. We know that the Akadish Baruch Hu, the Almighty, measures out the years of a person, of a tzaddik, to be exact. And we see by Moshe Rabbeinu, he was born and passed away on Zion Other. So similarly, when it comes to the Mitla Rebbe, who was born and passed away, also on the same day, it shows what kind of special quality this person possesses. And since Hanasi Huakil, the Nasi, the leader, is everything, that everything of the, uh, every aspect drawn down to his followers forever. Even at Tzadik's passing away, the Tukun says, after Meshach Rabbeinu passed, there was a Nitzutze, there was a Ishpashtusa the Meshach a reflection of his soul radi- radiates in each generation. And similarly, each Nasi remains faithful shepherd, tending to his flock even after he passes away. And the Altarev explains in Tanya, the Holy Tanya, the day of a tzaddik's passing fulfills, gives the totality of his service, and it becomes revealed and manifest in this world, and therefore brings salvation in depths of the earth. Of the earth. So therefore, each day on the yard site, tzaddik's yard site, this God and Venasin, they are remembered and carried out, and his spiritual influence radiates to his followers. <laughs> enabling the followers to carry out their decisions and bring them into effect. This particularly applies when it comes to spreading the words of Chassidus throughout the world, which of course is specifically related to the Mitra Rebbe's birthday, Yardzeit, and Chagagula. So this in turn brings about the situation, as it says, nafshi. My soul will be redeemed in peace. The ultimate true redemption, which is led by Mashiach. Since the Mitla Rebbe was very, very into the spreading of Chassidus, and very into the fact that people should study Chassidus, But yet, his actual life that he led was both on Nigla and Nister the Primis Atena. Therefore, we need to take our lesson for this. And we need to also, on these dates, undertake the Vayetze Yakim Beshava and Vayela Chalona. The taking out the Yaakov from Be'er Shava and going into Choron and following the ways of the Rabbeim and following the lesson of the Rabbeim on how we need to live our lives. It sounds so simple. Following the ways of the Rabbeim, going in footsteps of the Rabbeim, I mean, after all, the Rebbe gives us a directive. Who doesn't want to follow it? Who doesn't want to listen to it? Of course we're going to follow and listen to what the Rebbe says. Ahai, it should be so easy. The story is told of a chassid of the Baal Shem Tov. When the Baal Shem Tov sent to a most unheard of destination, to India 
needless to say, there were no airplanes. It was an arduous journey via boat. The boat, although it was not very, very exclusive or not exquisite, not luxurious, to say the least. But there were sleeping quarters, there were places where people could rest, people could sleep. And this Chassid gets on the boat, not far from Mejibuz, and begins his journey, his shlichas, to India, to an unknown destination, and to an unknown mission. Unbeknownst to him, of course, the Baal knew exactly where he was going and had an exact mission for him. Well, Chassid sets out and, of course, as we said, the ship was not exactly a luxury liner. And one evening he's sleeping in the middle of the journey. And it didn't hit turbulence because it was down in the water. Sorry, it wasn't turbulence obviously, but it was strong waves. It wasn't an iceberg. But it didn't need much of an iceberg. The ship was not that sturdy. And the strong storm started to toss and turn the boat like it was a rag, like it was a toy. Chassid was sleeping on his cot. He was awakened with a splash of cold water across the face. There was nobody from the crew telling him, get up, it's an emergency. It was a break in the hull of the ship, and the whole ship was flooded and sinking quick. <coughs> Immediately he jumps up. He starts to try to swim, floundering like a ship, like a fish, flailing in the water. In a very short time, the ship was nowhere to be seen. It was only the boxes and the packages that were in the bottom of the ship. One of the boxes happened to have a rope, so he grabbed onto the rope and he was holding on, floating. And suddenly, a lifeboat that was on the ship, comes floating by, empty. Chassid immediately jumps onto the lifeboat. He's now freezing, it's at night, it's cold, he's wet. And he takes from the lifeboat, had blankets and a uh, a first aid, sorry, a first aid kit or whatever it was. One of the main points, one of the main things they knew they had to have in these boats were blankets. And he covers himself with all the blankets that he could. He's still freezing and shivering. The water and the rain is still pelting down. And he falls into a deep sleep. He falls into a deep sleep. <coughs> has no idea how many days or hours he slept. The rocking of the boat was very lulling, shall we say. And was able to help him sleep. When this little ship, this little life-saving boat, stopped rocking, stopped moving, it woke him up. Why aren't we moving? And he started to feel a little warm under these blankets. And he starts to peel away the blankets, and lo and behold, he's on land. He's on an island. Shem Mirachim. God saved his life. But where it took him, he has no idea. And how long he traveled, he has even less of an idea. It could have been tomorrow, it could have been two days from now. It could have been yesterday. Well, our Chassid climbs out of his lifeboat 
Because I better go exploring, I better go find something to eat because I'm starving and I'm thirsty. He hears, sorry, he hears the bubbling of a creek. He walks towards it, and lo and behold, a beautiful stream of water, fresh water. He takes his fill of water. He walks a little further, and unbelievably, he finds a paved road. The only way it can be a paved road is if there's inhabitants. And so, he follows the yellow brick road. And no, he wasn't saying lions and tigers and bears on my. He was walking down the road. It's not fair. Atlanta, you're not on Skype. I can't see your reaction when you say that. Oh, he texted me. <laughs> He's walking down the road and he comes to a little town. And he comes to the town. <coughs> and lo and behold, the first house. Lo pachot lo yoter nishmei no more or less has a mezuzah. He claps off in tears. He knocks on the door and the door opens up. Hello, anybody home? Nobody answers. He goes to the next house, to the following house, the third and the fourth house. They all have mezuzahs, and they also have another thing in common. They're empty. Well, he goes to the grocery store. There is a grocery store on this island. There's a store with food in it. He takes some food. He stood for a while by the checkout counter. Nobody showed up. And takes out a paper and he writes an IOU. His IOU, I took this and this from the store. When somebody comes in, text me, I'll come pay you. But I don't think he said that. But he said, this is my husband, and I plan on Yetzim coming back to pay you. Well, he did this today, and he did it again the next day. In the meantime, he went to one of the houses, found one bed was too hard, one bed was too soft, one bed was just right, and he went to sleep. And he went to sleep, he davened mincha and lighted, he's eaten now, and he's sleeping. It must have been very early the next morning, he hears a hustle and a bustle, he hears noise outside, it's It's scary. He thought someone went to war. He goes to the window and the streets are packed. These very straight, very safe, deserted streets yesterday are full. People are coming and running and going. Unbelievable. He, he comes running out of the house to say Shalom Aleichem Tayyid, something, to tell somebody, talk to me. Nobody has time. Nobody wants to stop. It's almost Shabbos. Stuck in sight. Then one guy comes over to him and says, Ebiyid, why are you standing like this? Shabbos kumt. Gotta go to the mikveh, gotta go to the bathhouse. It's almost Shabbos. And he runs with the guy, and the guy brings him a change of clothes. He gets the mikveh, changes for Shabbos. And the fellow says, come, come, quickly, quickly. And he starts asking him, but, 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 don't talk now, there's no time. Shabbos is coming, and he comes into the shul. And the shul's filling up already. 
and he sits down next to this friend of his that at least communicated somewhat with him. And he sits down next to his friend and the shul, they start to sing. I guess they were singing I guess that's the singing, but I wouldn't promise. And they have milcher. And then the chazan goes over Kabbalah Shabbos. What a voice, what a voice. And the rabbi, the very, very rabbi, the holy, holy rabbi is sitting in the front. Medavant. Such a davening he's never heard or felt in his life. He's totally taken over by the davening. The nagunim are mesmerizing. Well, davening finishes. And he wants to turn to his host, he wants to turn to his friend and say, can you please tell me where I am, what's going on? But before he can ask anything, the host says, come, 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 you're coming to me to eat. And they start to walk towards the house, he thinks, okay, at least now I have time to talk to him. The host is a major Talmud Chacham, a very learned man. And the host begins to talk to him about the parsha. Asking him questions that he's never heard in his life. And giving answers that are opening his eyes to a total different world. Rabbi Yisai, the Sunnah Shabbos and the Zemiris, there was nothing compared to it. But before, by the time they benched, before he could ask his host another word, his host said, Rebbe, you look exhausted, come, legzach And he could not deny it. He went to lie down to sleep. Early morning, he hears already the host is running and people are going and people are coming. And he runs to the mikveh and he goes back to the shul and he comes to the shul and the zakshin ashir. And they're learning ashir terror and they're coming and they find and start davening. <laughs> davening again. Nigunim that he's never heard in his life. The sweetness of tefillah. You can hear the pirisha milis of each and every word. As each person pronounces a word of davening, you can hear how, how this person knows exactly what each word means. And again, the shachris and the kriya and the musaf and everything is so, so beautiful. Everything is so, so inspiring and so uplifting. Talk during davening, Khalila. The davening finishes and again a host says, Kum kum again tahim. And kum tamahim and again during the meal, such a beautiful, beautiful, sumptuous meal. The divinitata and the zmiris was so, so beautiful. There was no way. He could interrupt. There was no way he could ask anything. Vas Tutman. After the Sudha, he was exhausted, he fell asleep. Woke him up for Mincha and Maidiv. After Maidiv, the Rav comes to the front of the shul. He fills up the Becher of wine. And he holds the goblet of wine in his hand. To his right, someone is holding a candle. To his left, someone's holding the cloves or the spices. The Havdullah was the one that lifted up every soul that reached every Nishama Yaseda that there is. And then, then, Rav drinks his Havdullah takes his candle, dips it in the wine to extinguish, and the entire congregation lines up. And each person dips their fingers and wipes it on their foreheads, above their eyebrows. He's seen that before. What he didn't see before 
is each time a person stepped forward and wiped the wine on his eyebrows, he disappeared. <coughs> and so the line, one after the other, disappears. He himself is standing in front of the wine, in front of the plate, staring at the Rav, and the Rav smiles at him, and the Rav dips his, dips his fingers into the wine, wipes his forehead, and disappears. Our Chassid, once again, is alone, forsaken. Now what happens? What will be now? And once again, a week begins to go by. And each day as the week goes by, the Chassid finds a different thing to learn, different thing to do. Thursday night he stays up all night long learning. And suddenly, it happened again. Friday morning, boom! The town is bursting. People are running, people are coming, people are going, people are buying, people are crying. It's unbelievable. And again, he runs now with everybody. He's running with the flock and he's going and he's going and he's going. Finally, Mikveh, Shul, Kabbalah Shabbos, Suda Shabbos, sleep. Shachris, Kriya, Musif, Suda Shabbos, sleep. He can't. He can't stay awake. But he also can't find out what is going on here. To say the least, he was beyond curious. Finally, Matzai Shabbos Kedish. And yes, you guessed it, my friends. The Rav makes the Havdalah. <coughs> the people line up and they start to dip. <coughs> now he's standing face to face with the Rav and the Rav takes his fingers and puts it in the wine and is about to wipe it on his forehead and he grabs the Rav's arms and he says, Oh no, you don't! I want answers. I want to know what's going on. And the Holy Rabbi said to him, I promise you, I will tell you everything, just leave go my arms. And the Chassel leaves go. And the Rabbi begins a very eerie story. And he says to him, You see this entire community of ours? All these people, they're all dead. They died some 2,500 years ago. He says, well, wait a minute. They davened, they said, Kaddish, they said, Omein, Amen, Yesh, Rabba. I answered Omein to the brachas. If you're dead, you're not allowed to... No, no, no. Please understand. We all lived in Yerushalayim, in Akedish, the holy city of Yerushalayim. Unfortunately, people started to turn to idolatry and other sins. We tried to get them to stop, we begged and we pleaded. But no one listened. We saw where this was going and we did not want to be part of this. So we uprooted the entire community. And in a desert far from humanity, we made our community. Then one day, one terrible, terrible, horrific day, as you might know, you might have guessed, it was Tisha B'Av. <coughs> we saw smoke coming from Yerushalayim, Irakidish from our holy, holy city of Yerushalayim. We sent a runner, find out what happened. He returned to us, he was half dead. And he told us the news that the temple had Rahman al-Sam been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar Melech Bavel and his armies. 
What should I tell you, my friend? My holy, holy people could not take the news. And they all passed away from broken hearts and melancholy. As you know, of course, anyone that that deeply, deeply mourns the destruction of the Holy Temple has a wonderful place in Elam Haba. So when we came to heaven, they made us a deal. We can remain in heaven until Mashiach comes. Or we can have six days in heaven and Shabbos Kedish on this world. And since our souls are so, so holy, and since the beauty of Shabbos was so, so important to us, we too, we accepted six days in Ganeiden and one day Shabbos Kedish on this world. Because there's no way you can have a Shabbos Kedish in heaven. Not like on this world. But, said the rabbi very seriously now, now that you know our secret, you have to make a decision. You can either live as we do, six days in heaven and one day on earth, or you must leave this town immediately. The Chassid turns to the rabbi and says, Leave? Is there an airport here too that I don't know about? Is there a ship coming by in the near future? that I can sail home? What do we leave? How am I getting out of here? And the rabbi says to him, I have a holy piece of parchment. And the parchment was under the rabbi's desk. And he produced this piece of parchment, and he told him, on it is written Hashem's name. Look at this name, Memorize it. Concentrate on it. And fi- and think that you are wherever you want to go. This is where I want to go. I want to be back in Mezhebush. Fine. Think of this name of God on this parchment. Close your eyes and envision yourself in Mezhebush. <coughs> Do not open your eyes, I warn you, until you feel that the ground is under your feet again. And one more very important stipulation. As soon as you open your eyes and see that you are safely in Mezhebush, you are to take this parchment and throw it as hard as you can up into heaven, and a hand will come and take it back. And so, the Chassid closed his eyes. Oh, to be for another day with my Rebbe in Mezhebush. Elam Haba is beautiful. And such a Shabbos is beautiful. But nothing is in comparison to being with the Holy Baal And so, he closes his eyes, he remembers, the, memorizes the name of God on the parchment, he holds on tight, and he feels himself being lifted, being transported. He says, hey, they do have an airport, eh? And he starts to fly. Finally, he hits the ground, he feels his feet on the ground, he opens his eyes, he sees his measure bush. He sees his measure bush, he's happy, he's ecstatic. He doesn't really believe it, but it's here. And then he remembered his promise. He took the parchment. He drew back his arm, about to throw it. And as he's about to throw, someone grabs his arm. And he says, no, no, let go, let go. I must throw this. He turned around and he saw it's the holy Balshemtov himself. And the Balshemtov is smiling. It's As he takes the parchment out of the Chassid's hand. He says, this is why I sent you. I sent you because I needed this parchment 
to save the Jews. Don't worry, the rabbi won't mind that I took the parchment. He'll understand that I needed it and what I needed it for. So my dear friends, the belief that Munasa Tzadikim, the belief that the Tzadik tells us to do something and how important it is, is extremely strong and needs to be unwavering in our lifetimes. And this is our lesson from Tess and Yud Kislev. Let us focus on our Pasha, Pasha's Vayetze, the birth of almost all the Shvatim. As we progress the Pasha through. Number six, Tuleya. Vatemaleya Pamias Bileni Ishi Kielarti Laishisha Bonim. Chapter 30, verse 20. And Leah said, Now my husband will reside with me, if I have borne him six sons. And therefore she calls him Zevulun. Huh. Yaakov and Zevulun are complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yaakov was called Ish Tom Eyal, Eyalim. Yaakov was referred to an innocent man who dwelled in tents, in reference to, of course, the tents of Shem Ve'ever. Rashi explains. They were the centers of terror study of his time. Zvulun, on the other hand, struck a deal with his brother Yisachar. Smach zvulun b'tseisachar v'yisachar b'yalecha. The ayalecha is beautiful, it's so beautiful to sit and study Torah, but not for me. Hence, says zvulun to Yisachar, you sit and study Torah. I'll do the business and support you. You see this in Rashi, also discusses this in the Trinomini, not Varanami, the Chumash Dvarim, chapter 33, verse 18, Perik Lamed Gimel, Pazik Yudches. But yet, we say, the Pazik tells us, that Leah Zulun's mother says, from now on, Yaakov's principal residence will be with me. Meaning in spiritual terms that his Torah study will be represented by Yaakov finds a permanent home specifically in the company of Zvulun. But Zvulun was the one that was totally preoccupied in worldly matters. In business. But the fact is that the strength and the endurance of the Jewish people's education, dedication to Hashem and his Teda is when a Jew, a Balasik, a person that works all day long, sets aside time for a Kviyas Itim La sets aside time he devotes for learning Teda, despite all his involvement in business and all the hours that he needs to work. Therefore, specifically, when Zvulun comes about in his mother's tent, that's what made Yaakov's permanent residence. Because the limited terrorist study of the worldly Zvulun was imbued with a tenacity and permanence that the Torah study of others does not have. Because whereas one learns Torah and studies Torah, Lishma, for the name of Torah, he still doesn't make that impression of the Balasik, the working person, 
that lives in a world finds has the distractions of the Gashmius business world and the money matters, etc. And yet finds time kvias itim latera. Famous problem in this week's parasha. We know the Ovais kept the entire Teda. Our forefathers kept the entire Teda Kula. They did all the mitzvahs, even before the Teda was given. Discussion has it, what is the difference between the Ovais Teda before Matan Teda and the Teda that we practice after Matan Teda. And of course the Rambam, which is tonight they're making a Siyam HaRambam, for the completion of the three tra- of the Ozulun three Prakam a day. Very, very important time. And the Rambam, Yad Chazaka, which refers to only Halachas, and he finishes off a Molay, that Kamayim Ayom Machasim, Molaritz, Deyas Hashem Kamayim Ayom Machasim. The world will be filled. with the beauty and the love, the life of Teir. So now Pasha tells us though, Yaakov gets married to Lo- Leah, Lovan's daughter, and then proceeds to marry Leah's sister, Lovan's other daughter, Rachel. Then we find another two wives that Yaakov takes, whether as wives or concubines, Bila and Zilpa, <coughs> were also daughters of Lavan from another wife. And they were the maidservants for Rachel and Leah. And that's why at the end of the passage, Lavan comes discussing with Yaakov, he talks, Benoisai, Benoisai. He says twice, because Bill and Zilpa were his wife's his concubine's children. Mm-hmm. Yaakov tells Esav next week's parsha, Yishlach, Im Lovon Garti, I lived with Lovon, and Garti is the letters Taryag, six hundred and thirteen. Yaakov tells Esav, I kept all six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs. How can Yaakov profess to say such a thing if he married two sisters? Four sisters, in essence. From two different mothers. Apostle clearly says, In Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 18, one may not take a sister, a woman and her sister, and he did it twice. Leah and Rachel, Bila and Zilpa. Let us first analyze Yaakov's marriage to Rachel. Yaakov comes and he sees Rachel. And immediately sees and knows and falls in love with Rachel. And says, this is the one I want to marry. Lovon says, fine. You have no gifts? Work for me. Not long, seven years. And the payment for your seven years will be marry her. You want her so much, you're worth, it's worth it for you. And Yaakov acquiesced. Yaakov agrees. Lo and behold, Lovin, the swindler that he is, as a professional swindler, switches them. Doesn't give him Rachel, gives him Leah. Gives him Leah. And he 
Rachel's out in the cold. Now, Rachel was very concerned for her sister Leah. Leah was to marry Esav and try to make Esav a mensch. And Leah would cry all night for that. All day and all night. Not the Chatzashalom fall into the hands of such a rush as a wicked man. So Leah wanted to marry Yaakov. And Rachel sympathized with her. Although it's Rachel's husband. Rachel meant to marry him. Rachel was told and courted by him for seven years. But Rachel knew Leah's plight. And Rachel told Leah, listen here my dear sister, it's not so simple. Yaakov is nobody's fool. He knows what loving is. He knows what kind of scoundrel he is. So he made up with me certain signs under the chuppah. He figures Lovin's going to bring me my face covered so that I should, whatever reason that it might be, whatever he's going to explain to him. So therefore he's going to, instead of putting me under the chuppah, he's going to put you under the chuppah with your face covered. But Yaakov is going to expect certain signs. And you're going to be utterly embarrassed, Chassashon. You're going to be so hurt from this. So Rachel says to Leah, let me teach them to you. Let me tell you all the signs so that you may go under the chuppah and not be embarrassed, Chassashon. Such love, such selflessness of a human being only the mother Rachel possessed. And we've discussed this many times. Rachel Mavakal Baneha. Well, my children, we know the story evolves. Yaakov marries her, and then he wants to marry Rachel. But Yaakov, you may not! Terah prohibits it. Says Yaakov Avinu. Lama read and practice. Let's talk practical. I keep, as Tayag Mitzvah Shamarti, I keep the entire Terah. And I respect and do every Mitzvah of the Terah. But I'm not obligated. The Terah was not given yet on Sinai. But I will tell you something even more important than the mitzvahs of the Torah. And that is shaming and hurting a fellow Jew, or a fellow person for that matter. The humiliation, the pain that Rachel will suffer for the rest of her life. Because I married her sister and left her in the lurch after leading her on and showing the great love and attachment, the connection that we have. And now all of a sudden, it's for naught. It was nothing, it was not real. The hurt that I will cause Leah is beyond, Rachel, is beyond the realm of reality, is not allowed, it's wrong. And although I will be breaking myself, Although I will not be com- completing the mitzvah of the Tera, and I will be going a- transgressing a love that a man may not marry a woman and his sister, I would rather do that than hurt Chas a Jew. So the sacrifice that Yaakov has here, that although he was not allowed to marry her really, was because not to hurt her, he reneged on something that he stood for of keeping the entire Torah this is a tremendous lesson to us all from the Mitla Rebbe 
from Yaakov Avinu and Pashas Vayetze Yaakov Veshava, going out of the Kedusha of the world, going out from keeping Kolatera Kula, and doing this slight deviation so that not to hurt a person. It is so, so important. It is so relevant to each and every one of us. How careful we must be with every word we say, every thought we think, and today with every stroke we type, everything that we bring across that we need to do and we need to make sure that Klal Yisrael is together and that we don't ever cause, cause hurt to a fellow Jew. And the schus of that in the schus of Teskiy slave, in the schus of the redemption of Yudkiy slave, we should be zeicher to the ultimate redemption this very Shabbos, the ultimate redemption of Mashiach Tzidkenu, in the schus of the Mitle Rebbe, in the schus of Yaakov Avinu, in the schus of Rachel Imenu. And it should be the Heshev Leiv Oves Halbanim, the Shavu Vanim Ligvulam. This very Shabbos, we should spend the Yerushalayim and all together. Shabbat Shalom to all.